Welcome to City Church. City Church is a biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led church, encouraging everyone to follow Jesus and serve others. We're excited to share this sermon with you today, and you can always find out more about us online at citychurchseville.com. This past week, uh, my family and I were away taking a break. And before I left, probably oh, maybe a week before we left, I saw something here in town that deeply touched me. What I saw was I was coming from near grounds at UVA and was coming towards the church and about a mile and a half from the church, I do a little cut through that kind of brings me down a side road. And as I made the cut through, I saw something that was happening uh, with a very small gathering that was right along the road, parallel to the road. And I looked off to my right and what I saw was I saw an extremely elderly man, extremely old. He was very hunched over. He was, uh, you could tell, very frail of frame. He was leaning against a chair that was kind of propping him up, and he had his nose pressed against the screen of a window that was barely open. And when I saw that, I realized what was happening. And I knew what was happening because as I drove by, I could see the reflection of a very, and kind of the dim view of a very elderly woman seated inside the room, and she was six feet away. And here was this frail elderly man who was outside of this old folks home. And he had his nose pressed against the screen. And he was communicating, which was obvious to me, was his wife, who was there, maybe even living near the end of her days. And when I saw that picture of this frail man right there next to the sidewalk, pressed against, kind of leaning against this seat, I really wanted to take a picture. But when I thought about that, I thought to myself, this is such a sacred moment. What a sacred moment that was. There was something about the image of that elderly man, nose pressed against the screen, the window cracked open, and him reaching out to his wife that was indoors, and he kind of had his hand upon the glass as he was communicating with her. And when I looked at that, something struck me, and it was this. Oftentimes, sacred events look strangely human. They look strangely human. It involves people. Now, that gathering involved two people. But what I know is, as we move towards the Sermon on the Mount, what we're going to discover is, and what we have last week, I'm sorry, the week before, and thank you to Pastor Scott for preaching while I was away last Sunday. But what we know is, is that in the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus gets up to preach his sermon, the end of Matthew chapter 4 tells us about who was in the crowd. And it was a very contradictory, eclectic group of people. The end of Matthew chapter 4 tells us this, and then Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount begins with the Beatitudes. But as you think about Jesus gathering with these people, and he's sitting on the edge of this hill, and again, I've been to the spot where they believe it took place in Israel, I've been there a couple of times, and there Jesus, the scripture tells us that he sits down and he begins to speak to that crowd that has gathered with him. 
But when he does it, there's something that Matthew chapter 4 wants us to know, and that is, is that the group of people that are meeting are a group of people that don't get along. Again, the end of Matthew 4 tells us that. They're from different regions. There are some who are actually pagans. They're not even Jews. And so you've got this eclectic group of people that don't get along. And yet, here Jesus is, and he's getting ready to speak. And when you think about it, what was so sacred about that moment is the crazy collection of people who do not belong together, and yet there they are. There they are. Now picture it this way, if you would. Let's say we all exit City Church Central. We make a left onto Ryle Road. We get onto the Meadow Creek Parkway. We travel down to the Meadow Creek Parkway. Right when we get to the bypass, we make a right. You go up onto the bypass as though you're heading to Lynchburg. And as you make that turn, off on the right is the skate park. Now just picture this. You, you make that little journey couple of miles, you make the right up onto the bypass, and as you look over onto the bypass, instead of a bunch of skaters out there, what you see is the skaters are all seated, and they've got their skateboards, but mixed in with them are businessmen and women, and they're seated. And then as you're driving by, you look again, and you see that there's different people of color who are kind of mixed in with that crowd. And instead of a ton of activity, which we would be normal, what you begin to recognize is there's this eclectic, strange group of people that have gathered, and they're all facing in one direction, and you see an individual standing there addressing the crowd. And you got to think to yourself, when you see such a strange group, you begin to think to yourself, who in the world would be capable of gathering a group of people that in our culture has so much reason not to be together. And what you discover very quickly and what the Gospel of Matthew wants us to know is that the crowd that has gathered actually says something about the person who's speaking. That the crowd that has gathered says something about Jesus. And then Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 and 2 tells us the following. It says, now when Jesus saw the crowds, remember Matthew 4 told us who was in the crowd, this group of people that don't get along, you never see them together. It says, now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. And his disciples came to him and he began to teach them. Now, here's what I want us to take note of. In the translation in your Bible, you will discover that the word he, in reference to Jesus, is used between five and seven times in two sentences. It's very odd. In the original language, it's really strange. He is repeated over and over. Who Jesus is, the person of Jesus, is being presented to you over and over and over in two sentences. Notice again in English it says, now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside. He sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. The writer of the gospel wants you to know this is all about Jesus. It's about Jesus. In the Greek, it's blatantly obvious. 
that the writer wants you to know that what's getting ready to happen has everything to do with him. Everything. And so, what we know is who says what matters. And here Jesus is, this eclectic crowd that should never get along. They're gathered because of him and only because of him. And then he begins to speak. It's known as the Beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 through 12. Here's what Jesus said. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for God's best in the world. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and say false and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you, they are going to persecute you. What's interesting to note is Jesus has this strange group of people and they're there only because of him. And when he begins to teach, he teaches about this new kingdom that he's here to usher in. And it's known as the blessings, the blesseds. Never forget this. Jesus begins his kingdom by speaking about blessings, not rules, and not commands. If you think that the kingdom of Jesus is rules and commands, you've missed it. Jesus' inaugural sermon is all about God's blessing, what God wants to give what God is prepared to give. And so remember, it's about blessings. Here's another thing to remember, though. Who says what matters? Who says what matters? Jesus gets up and begins to say things like this. Blessed are the poor in spirit. They're blessed. That's stunning. And it only works if Jesus says it. No one else has ever said that before, ever. No one in, in antiquity has ever said, blessed are you if you're poor in spirit, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Everyone else said the opposite, but now Jesus shows up and he says that as the first thing. It's stunning. If anyone else had said it, no one had, but he shows up and says it because of who he is. Who says it matters. I remember when I was on a ministry trip, I used to do this quite frequently. I used to go to Europe and I would work with pastors in Europe because churches in Europe tend to be very small. They tend to be uh, churches that really need help, kind of getting systems in place and even some views of scripture to help them reach out beyond themselves. 
And so for many years, I would go to Europe and I would meet with pastors in and through Europe. And this, this uh, episode that I'm going to reference involved when I was in Germany. I was on a train. I was meeting with a group of campus pastors in Berlin. And um, we were meeting every morning and every evening. And I was catching the train in the morning to go to this appointment where I was going to meet with several German pastors. And we were going to kind of talk through some basic pastoral skills. While I was on the train, I was sitting there, and this elderly gentleman came and sat down next to me. And what I noticed right away was he had a very thick German accent. And he sat down next to me, and he said basically this, you're not from here. Right? If you ever are from the U.S. and you travel in Europe, they all know you're not from there. It's instantly obvious that you're not from Europe. So he sits down next to me. He says, you're not from here. And I said, no, I'm not. Very thick German accent. He said, what are you doing here? And I thought, well, you know, I've heard people have great stories about how they shared faith on trains and planes. So here we go. So I said to the guy, I said, well, I'm a pastor from the U.S. And I'm here and I'm meeting with people and we're talking about Jesus. And he says, Jesus was a communist. I said, aha. So he says, Jesus is a communist, and I explained to him biblically why that's impossible. Jesus was not a communist. If he was, he was the worst communist ever, right? So I kind of explained that to him, and intermittently while I'm kind of explaining to him biblically why Jesus is not a communist, he's asking me questions about my life. So I'm married, I have a child, I think I have one child at that time, we're kind of talking about life anyway, we're interjecting, and then when we're done, he goes, ah, well, you gave me something to think about. I said, well, you're welcome. And then I said to him, tell me about yourself, and he said, I am a Jew, and I survived Dachau. He was in the concentration camp and had survived. Let me explain something to you very carefully. Everything he had shared up until that point now took on a total different meaning. Who says what matters tremendously. And the raw reality is, is that our conversation now shifted to where I asked him questions about his faith and how he viewed God. And then I listened to him speak. And then he got off the train. Now when Jesus shows up and he gives his inaugural talk, he speaks about the fact that blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And one theologian put it the following way. Jesus' words are not just human words, but they are but the divine word. And as such, they are alive with enabling power. In other words, if someone else had gotten up and said, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs the kingdom of heaven, guess what? Nothing. But Jesus shows up, and because he is the defined word of God, and he says those things, there's an innate power in what he says in order to accomplish what's being said. Another way to look at it, and I took this from another theologian that I love. When he talks about Jesus announcing the blesseds in the Sermon on the Mount... He said, it's not just stating something, nor is it describing 
something because too many of us read the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes and we think it's a description. It's not. It's more like, and this is how the theologian put it, it's more like an umpire who's calling balls or strikes. By the way, quick aside, man, have I missed the Tom Sox this summer. All right? If you don't know what the Tom Sox are, we had kind of a college team that was playing here in Charlottesville for the past seven years, and it didn't happen because of COVID, and I terribly missed the Tom Sox this year, primarily because all tickets were free this coming summer, and that didn't happen. But picture this. When Jesus is giving, blessed are the poor in spirit, for there's the kingdom of heaven, he's not describing something. It's like when an umpire calls balls and strikes. This theologian went on to say, it's like when a minister makes the declaration of marriage over a couple. It's like when a judge pronounces someone as guilty or innocent. He goes on to write, in all three cases, the authoritative words do something. It's not a description. Something happens when the judge says guilty or innocent. Something happens when the umpire calls a ball or a strike. Something happens when a minister says two are now one. They've stepped into a covenant relationship before God. And that's how Jesus is with the Beatitudes. That's how it is when he makes the announcement. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. By the way, the word poor is a word whose root is to cower or to cringe. That when it comes to spiritual things, to cower or to cringe, to be poor in spirit. No one before has ever said what Jesus just announced. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are all those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. No one says being poor in spirit's a good thing. No one says mourning's a good thing. No one says that being meek is a good thing. No one says that having an empty soul that is not being filled is a good thing until Jesus. And the reason why he could say it was because he's doing something about it. That's why. He has the power and the authority to do something about it. Now, as we look at the first four blesseds, poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those who are meek, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, there Jesus is declaring these, the first four all have to do with lack. The first four have to do with what you don't have. That's interesting. And as I've thought about COVID-19 and everything that's happened as we've stepped into the new year, here's what I have noticed. I have noticed that there are people that are within my social network. What I have noticed is, is these are people 
who used to be very strong in spirit. And they're not anymore. I have noticed that there are people within my web of influence, people that I know, who were always upbeat. They were always joyful. And somewhere between January and now, they've lost that. They've lost joy. I know of people who during these past several months, they are people who are extremely strong. If you got around them, they're confident. They know where to go, where to turn, what to do, when to do it, how to do it. And all of a sudden, over the past several months, they're not like that anymore. They're not strong. They're not dominant or domineering. I've observed in the past several months that they have become what the Bible calls meek. I've also noticed that over the past several months during this COVID crisis and all of the different tensions that are now part of our culture, or I actually should say have mushroomed in our culture, what I have noticed is there are people now who are actually hungering and thirsting for God's reality in this world, and they've never done it before. Before, they coasted through life. Sure, they're a follower of Jesus. They worship him. They could even give to you some basic theological points about who Jesus is. But in the past several months since January, suddenly they began to look to God and say, God, our human best isn't cutting it. We need you. And to hunger and to thirst for righteousness basically means that you've come to the point where you believe that it's God's rightness that is needed in this world. And that if we're going to be filled, that's what we need. So think about your own life. In the past several months, have you found yourself poor in spirit? Where before you had all of this confidence in who God was, you know how it works. You know how everything happens in the kingdom. And in the past several months, you become poor in spirit. Maybe you're like I am. But in the past several months, I have to be honest with you, there's been a grieving in my soul. I've grieved. I have to admit to you as the lead pastor of City Church that knowing how to move forward, knowing how to lead, knowing exactly when to do what has become extremely confusing. Now thank God for prayer because at times there have been moments of assurance and confidence in what we are to do. But my full confession is leading in the past several months has been the most difficult season I have ever led through. Ever. There have been shifting governmental mandates. It's interesting to note that if you make a decision right now, some people will speak against it because of one view. Another person will speak against it because of another view. And it really becomes a season in which, as you lead, you feel as though you're forced to be meek. And maybe you're like me. Think about the last few months. Have you found yourself praying and asking God to do something about what we're seeing in our world and the trajectory of the future?
Here's what I believe. I believe that the first four Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. There has never been a time in my life when these four blesseds are more purposeful and more appropriate than they are right now. Never. Because again, there have been people who were very confident who are now poor in spirit. There are those that have never been upset or concerned are now, they're grieving. There are those that were always confident and filled with strength, and now they're meek. And the prayer is, is that all of us as followers of Jesus will come to that place where we will look at God's righteousness, his rightness, and we hunger for it, and we thirst for his rightness, because what we're seeing in this world has ceased to satisfy our soul. Please know this, that there is a lack in the first four. The first four blessed speak to the fact that we do not have what we need, but we know it. But there's something about when Jesus says it that we have hope. So if you are poor in spirit, poor in joy, poor in strength, and poor in righteousness, you're in the right place because Jesus can do something about it. He is here and he's capable and has the power and the authority to do things no one else can. As we look at these four Beatitudes, how do we put feet to our faith? What does it look like? First of all, remember how often, just before Jesus launches into his sermon, does Matthew let you know that it is all about Jesus? The Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, does not work without Jesus in focus. Next, how do we put feet to our faith? Maybe some of us in the past six months have come to understand and realize that the depth of our faith was not as deep as we thought it was. And now it's time to say to Jesus, I am lacking in spirit. I am lacking in joy. I am lacking in strength. And I need you. When we admit that we need the Beatitudes, Jesus shows up and touches our lives. How else do we put feet to our faith? Always remember this, that Jesus' teachings are like that of no other religious leader. His teachings cannot be separated from him. It doesn't work. You can take what Confucius said and separate it from him, but you cannot take the teachings of Jesus, and separate them from him. Because if you do, it does not work. He is the one who brings these four blesseds. Would you stand with me as we close? As we stand together, I'd like for us to take a moment and honestly examine ourselves in God's presence. 
have you found in the last several months that you've been poor in spirit? That you've had a heaviness of heart, a grief in your heart? Have you found in the last several months that some of your strength that you were so confident in now seemingly is not there? And if you come to the point where you've looked at God, you've looked at Jesus, and you've somewhere from the depths of your soul said, Jesus, we need you. I need you. If that's you, please take a moment to close your eyes and open your heart. This gathering only makes sense if Jesus is real. It only makes sense if he is real. And if he is, then his speaking of the Beatitudes are not descriptive speakings. They are proclamations of truth. That if you are poor in spirit, yours is the kingdom of heaven. If you've been grieving, you will be comforted. That blessed are the meek, for the earth will be yours in Christ. And blessed are you who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for we will be filled.